You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. And Drew and I are excited today because we're starting a brand new study in which we're going to cover three books. Uh, For the next couple months, our podcast is going to go in line with some of our classes here at Asheville Road. Uh, So the next three books that we're going to be covering are 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, which are also known as the pastoral epistles. And today we're going to get into 1st Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to find Timothy. It's a name that I'm sure that's familiar to most people. He was a citizen of Lystra, and that is where Paul met him. Uh, Timothy was the son of... Uh, oh, now I've got them mixed up. It's either John, Bob, Bob, John. It's either Lois or oh, you're Unice. going with the mother. Which one is the mom? Uh, <laughs> Do we uh-oh. know for sure? Yeah, uh, I think it's a. Uh, let me just turn over to Second Timothy. Um, grandmother Lois and mother. How do you want to say that? However you Eunice? want to say it. Eunice or Eunice? Here in Alabama, we call it Eunice. We don't call her Eunice Roll Tide. But uh, people here at Asheville Road make fun of me because I've been saying Eunice. I don't but know. I, I'm Either not way. sure. Eunice sounds more Greek than Eunice. But we'll yeah, stick that's with... what I was thinking. Eunice sounds like Walker County. Yeah. <laughs> Eunice uh, is the way I said That was his mother's name. Right. And his father, as we know from that same passage, I believe. Nope. Not from that passage, okay? Well, Acts 16. You're okay, going to say his father's Greek, right? Yeah, his father's Greek. Um, so he is, he's probably brought to Christ by Paul when he stops through Lystra on a mission trip. There can be some Yeah, because there. Paul, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's a little confusing to me. I was looking at this, and, uh, you know, so in Acts 16, you read about him already impressing Paul when he comes into... I've yeah. been saying Lystra. Here's another pronunciation. Lystra, Lystra. He's impressed with Timothy. And then in 2 Timothy 1, the sincere faith of Timothy was inherited from his grandmother and his mother. In 2 Timothy 3.15, they're the ones that uh, acquainted him with the scriptures from childhood. Those are, of course, of the Hebrew scriptures. So maybe he's talking about his Jewish background there. Yeah. Because in 1 Timothy 1.2, he calls Timothy his true child in the faith, which was code for Paul to say, I led this man to Christ. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we really know. And I used to think that I knew for sure that his mother and grandmother led him to Christ, but it may have been they schooled him in the Hebrew scriptures that pointed to Christ. Yeah. And then Paul converted the whole family, except for the dad probably, but maybe the dad too, mm-hmm. uh, converted the whole family to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the man that Paul is writing this letter to. He's probably pretty young, uh, as we'll see in chapter four. Um, how young that is, uh, we can we'll talk about in a later episode. But he's a younger man, um, probably around probably around age forty, right? That's what oh, I've I usually know. heard. I, I got to study that a little bit okay. in anticipation of chapter four, but. Um, I've heard all kinds of theories on yeah. how old he was. I know he was younger than Paul, yeah, because um, and he was young enough to be disregarded for his youthfulness. Yeah, um, Timothy had some other things that seemed to belong to youth. Um, he seemed to have had some frequent stomach ailments, according to chapter five, verse thirteen. Uh, he was a little timid. 
according to 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul told him that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. Mm-hmm. Um, so he struggled with those things, as we all have struggles. But he was also, you know, the subject of, of a prophecy, 1 Timothy 1.18, yeah. yeah. this chapter. Uh, he says, in accordance with the prophecies, plural, previously made about you, that you may wage the good warfare. It was said in prophecy that Timothy was somebody who fought a good fight, which is impressive. He had a spiritual gift of some kind that's referred to a few times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like all human beings, he had weaknesses and he had strengths. And Paul, most of all, I think, Paul saw something in him and was really um, impressed by him. Yeah, he's a very interesting um, figure in the New Testament. And his relationship with Paul is very interesting as well. Uh, But let's go ahead. Uh, Drew's got our outline for the text today. Let's just go ahead and get right into the text and some of these other introductory matters for really all of the pastoral epistles. uh, They'll kind of make their way into our discussion as we go through the text. Yeah. uh, Another bit of introduction that would help us in our reading for today uh, has to do with where Timothy is located at this particular time. He mm-hmm. is in Ephesus, according to verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, Paul had departed from there after a three-year ministry, which was, by the way, the longest period of time Paul spent in any place. So Paul felt Ephesus was very important to have stayed there that long. And then he must have had a lot of confidence in Timothy to have left this young man, young preacher, in that place so that he could go to Macedonia where Thessalonica and Berea were and Philippi. So, um, you know, the ministry, Paul's ministry in, in Ephesus is recorded in Acts chapter 19. And uh, he uh, calls the elders of Ephesus together. Uh, they, he couldn't go back to Ephesus because of some of the turmoil there. And so he met them in Miletus and gave them farewell instructions in chapter 20 of Acts. Very important place to Paul. And this is where Timothy is. And they're having problems there. And the problems they are having can be summed up as uh, many of the people in the church were straying away from the truth. They were Mm -hmm. swerving, as uh, one verse says. And I'm going to give you from this chapter... A few examples of that. Let's start reading in First uh, Timothy chapter one, verses three and four. Paul says, "As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith." So you see, certain persons are teaching people to stray away. So it's not just a, a, you know, a, a matter of not being vi- vigilant and so you're drifting away passively, but there are false teachers actively misleading people in the church at Ephesus. And this is very alarming to Paul because you know he had invested so much into this work and mm-hmm. souls are at stake. Um, there's more evidence of this in verses 6 and 7. He says, uh, certain persons, that's the second time he's used that phrase, certain persons by swerving from these, from, you know, a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, 
uh, have wandered away into vain discussion. King James there, do you know what it says? Vain jangling. Vain jangling. Yeah, I knew what it was. I was trying to get there. That That's uh, another jangling. one of those King James expressions that's a little archaic now. That's you don't nothing. hear anybody say vain jangling anymore? I've heard some preachers say it. I've really? heard them come down hard on vain jangling. <laughs> um, so vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I think we should name our podcast Vain Jangling now. Um well, we'll give that some thought. Come back uh, to that, but. Yeah. No, I, I like it. Empty discussions, what it means. <laughs> yeah. But you've got um, these people are wanting to be teachers without putting the time in to understand the law or what they're talking about. Basically, Paul's saying they want to be teachers and they like to have the position of a teacher, but they don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's which is like going to make podcast for some, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> which is going to make for great application when we get to our. Oh yeah. Application section. Yeah, I'm really excited to really discuss that and, and get to yeah. the bottom of all of that. Now, there's one more example of their straying from the truth at the very end of the chapter. If I pick up in about the middle of verse 19, he says, By rejecting this, faith and a good conscience is what he's talking about. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So that gives you a little background on what's what the problem is in Ephesus. Uh, there are a number of people who are misleading the church, and as a result, many are straying from the truth. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander being two of them. Mm -hmm. By the way, Hymenaeus comes up again in 2 Timothy, and I think I'll do this here just to give you a little more background. Um, Hymenaeus, he mentions blasphemy in 1 Timothy 1, in 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18, Hymenaeus is brought up again, um, and he compares Hymenaeus's words to gangrene, which I assume is not a compliment. And uh, gangrene not. is a disease that spreads rather rapidly, and it's fatal. Mm -hmm. um, Hymenaeus is paired here with Philetus. They've swerved from the truth, same kind of language in 1 Timothy 1, saying that the resurrection has already happened which is a strange thing to say, but uh, there was a lot of misunderstanding about the resurrection in that day and time, as you would expect. I mean, there's still misunderstanding about it today. And so um, that was his flavor of false teaching. Yeah, and I think it's good to note here at the outset, too, that this is a common theme, a common theme throughout these pastoral epistles is dealing with people who are teaching false doctrine. Oh, yeah. It comes up here again in 2 Timothy, like you mentioned, and then again in Titus shows up towards the end where he's talking about people that stir up divisions by talking about these endless genealogies and those sorts of things. Definitely. So this is yeah. something we'll revisit several times. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. So um, Alexander, you know, he's another one that Paul names in First Timothy. Uh, there is another Alexander that's mentioned in Second Timothy. I'm told that the name Alexander was pretty pretty common back then. So this may not be the same guy, but it looks like the same guy. I mean, in 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15, he brings up Alexander the coppersmith and said that he did me great harm, and he says the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Uh, he tells Timothy, Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message, which was the gospel. So mm -hmm. these are really bad guys, and they may not be the only false teachers in Ephesus, 
but they are good examples of the kind of thing that's going on. So mm -hmm. drifting away. Now, what's the solution to something drifting away? An anchor, right? Right. Tied so up. Paul gives Timothy three anchors of faith that will keep the church from drifting away from the faith. And uh, we're going to go over them one by one. All of them come out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, the first anchor is stewardship. I'm getting this from verse 4 where he says, these genealogies promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. I have a footnote there that says stewardship could be translated good order, but it's a really interesting word that Paul seems to lean on more than other inspired writers. It comes from the uh, Greek word oikonomia, mm -hmm. which is based on the word oikos for house, and it has to do with a household manager or a right. steward. Mm -hmm. um, in Luke, I forget, I think it's 14 or 16, uh, that word is used literally of a household manager. But of course, Paul is using it more figuratively here. Yeah. Maybe thinking about the household of God, if we have a key verse for the book of First Timothy, Timothy, it's First Timothy 3.15, where Paul says, I'm trying to teach you how to obey in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the, the church is a household. It's the household of God. And as such, it has its stewards or its managers, church leaders like Paul and Timothy, or elders, or deacons, or Bible teachers. And um, as stewards, they have an important responsibility on them. Now, many have squandered that, like Hymenaeus and Alexander. They didn't take their job of of organizing and, and ruling the church seriously, and as a result, there's chaos and drifting away. Mm -hmm. and so Paul is talking here about the subject of church leadership, which he took very importantly. And, and Paul used this word of himself many times. I want to look at a few examples of that so you can understand this, this concept. In Ephesians 3, 1 and 2, here's what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul saw it as a matter of grace that God had given him this position as an apostle to manage the house of God faithfully. Another place where he uses it is in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 16 through 17. Look at it there. Uh, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. It may not be a concept our listeners are accustomed to, but it was very common in Paul's letters. And every time he brings it up, it seems like he's thinking of it in terms of grace. Mm -hmm. God gave it to him. He didn't earn that position. He didn't work his way up to it. But he's been given a stewardship. And if you've been given something, there's a responsibility that comes along with the gift. And so he refers to himself as a debtor, or as someone under obligation in Romans 1.14. And uh, he wants Timothy, and he wants men like Hymenaeus and Alexander, who are natural leaders, he wants them to take that more seriously. So that's one of the anchors of faith that would keep them from drifting away, is a faithful stewardship. Mm -hmm. um, all right, now the next one is love. And love is mentioned a couple of times. Uh, in verse 5, he says, the aim of our charge 
is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I'm going to come back to those three things that issue from love or the things that love issues from in just a moment. But I also want to point out verse 14 where he says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul saw love as another anchor that holds Mm -hmm. people to Christ, that keeps them from drifting away, that keeps them focused. And in order to get that, you need these three things mentioned in verse 5, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Um, I think it's really interesting because break that down, and you'll notice that the three adjectives there, pure, good, and sincere, Mm -hmm. are all very similar, right? Yeah. Uh, They seem to have to do with an uncompromised integrity. Because, you know, you have the idea of pure meaning in the New Testament, something that is without flaw, that is blameless. Um, Good is uh, good in quality, uh, sincere, without without cracks or blemishes at all. All three Mm -hmm. of those adjectives have to do with somebody that has uncompromised integrity. And then the three nouns are related too. When you think of heart, conscience, and faith, you're talking about the inner person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spiritual part of a person, right? So when you put all of those together, and Andrew, you may come up with a better summary than this, but to me, what I what I thought of is when you put all of that together, you get knowing yourself, knowing going along with the pure, good, and sincere. You know, you have a a true idea of who you are, what your identity is, and the heart, conscience, and faith having to do with the inner man. So here's the idea: love comes from knowing who you are and being sincere and honest about who you are on the inside. It's the opposite of insecurity, which gets me to understanding this a little bit better. Insecure people have a hard time loving other people because love Mm -hmm. is about putting the other person before yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you're afraid that in doing that, you're going to lose something. Mm -hmm. If, if, If I'm insecure... I may be sitting here in this podcast trying to talk over you for fear mm-hmm. that people will think your comments are better than my comments. Mm-hmm. And I just think, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not any good, so the only way that I can get people to listen to me is not allow any other people to talk, mm-hmm. um, which would make for a really bad podcast, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, Well, depending on how much prep I've put into <laughs> well, that yeah. particular episode. Yeah, we're assuming that you've done your homework, Andrew. Yeah. Um, so insecurity ruins relationships all the time. In a marriage, yeah, that's a good point. If if a if a husband doesn't believe he's worth loving, uh, he's not going to be able to love. Ironically, yeah, uh, the very thing that he feels that he is not receiving, he will not be able to give. Mm-hmm. So it's really important for you to have a firm idea, an honest idea of who you are. Yeah, I um, think it has to do with also the kind of love that comes from a place where you're doing the right thing for the right reason. Yeah, you know. motives. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think there's you're, a, you're loving to give, not to get. That's a good point. Yeah. And also, um, uh, another opposite of this concept of a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith, I think, would, would be um, pride. Pride is also the opposite of that. It's the other extreme. One, one side is insecurity. The other side is pride. If you think you're better than you actually are, um, you're not going to be very good at loving people and yeah. having relationships. And, and I think that's what Paul's getting to in verses 6 and 7. Where he yeah. talks about people that want to teach. 
Definitely. They, they, they think they can be teachers without even understanding what they're teaching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's probably the extreme that they are on, more so than the insecurity. Yeah. Um, so that's the second anchor, love, but a love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Uh, now there's one last anchor before we finish our reading, and that is salvation. In verse 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And if we were to read verses 12 through 17, what we get there is a really good summary of Paul's past life as Saul of Tarsus. Mm -hmm. It's a summary of Saul. And... uh, we know from the book of Acts that he was, what he says in verse 13, a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. We could add um, murderer to the list. I yeah. mean, there's, there's not, I don't think there's a verse that says that he actually committed murder. But look at the evidence. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, he's holding the coats of the men who are stoning Stephen to death. Okay, so that means he approves, and it even says he approved of what was going on and uh, of the execution, chapter 8, verse 1. And then in chapter 9, we see that he is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And then over in Acts chapter 22, if I can get over there, verse 4, uh, Saul is persecuting the way to the death, binding and delivering men and women into prison, separating families. You think about this and you ask yourself, how many orphans did Saul make? How many mm-hmm. parents did he throw into prison? How many marriages did he break up? How many people did he lead away from Christ? And, you know, it must have caused him a lot of turmoil as he realized he was wrong in all of this. Yeah. And yet he was able to find peace through Jesus Christ because the grace of God overflowed for him, as he says in verse 14. And he realized that the reason Christ came to earth was for people like him Mm -hmm. to save sinners, even the foremost or the chief of all sinners. So, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And churches need to keep their focus on those three things. Church leaders need to remember their stewardship. Churches need to learn that our aim is love, that issues from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. And we must not forget that we're on a mission of salvation. That's what Jesus Christ came for. Right. That's what and, we're here for. And all of this is just the introductory chapter in the first Timothy. Yeah. Because you good can stuff though. Yeah, you can peek ahead and look at the first part of chapter two. Uh it says, first of all, so we're looking at chapter uh-huh. one as kind of we're laying the groundwork here for what Paul is wanting to say to Timothy. And uh, certainly we've seen a lot of really uh, important things to keep in mind. Um, but if we're, if you're any more comments to add here, Drew, before we... No. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and um, we'll come back and we'll kind of dig deeper into some of these great things that we have seen from First Timothy. <laughs>
think together more deeply about some of these things. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, in the second segment of these podcasts, we like to go back over some of the things that we read and um, just have a little fun with them, seeing if we can find some background information or some interesting details that may not, you know, it may not relate to the main point or to a practical application, but does help us understand the text a little better. And there's a few things. Um, I wanted to go back. Andrew mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that this is one of the pastoral epistles and that we are going to do 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus together uh, because they are the pastoral epistles. I wanted to talk about that word and ex- and explain what we mean by that. Um, the word pastor is the Latin form of our word shepherd and the Greek term poimain. Uh, so pastor means a shepherd. And in the New Testament, the pastor is equivalent to the elder or the overseer or the bishop. And that's very plain. I know people will argue with that, but that's very plain from passages like Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, because in those two places, the elders are referred to as elders, shepherds, and overseers. All right? And you have to go back to Acts 20 and pick up verse 17 to get the elders. But in those two chapters, Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, all three titles are used of the same office. And so in, in New Testament days, the pastor was the elder. They weren't separate offices. Um, Andrew and I are ministers like Timothy and Titus. But often people in our community will refer to us as pastors because in their churches, you've got the man who's doing, you know, the, the minister is a pastor as well. And this gets a little confusing because many pastors in the New Testament or elders were also preachers. I mean, Peter himself was an apostle, a preacher, an elder. Um, Timothy and Titus were young. We assume maybe they weren't even married and did not have children and certainly did not have believing children. And so uh, they didn't qualify for the eldership. And these letters are called Timothy. They're named after the ministers, and yet they're grouped together as pastorals. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons is because some people confuse the offices of Timothy and Titus with the office of the pastor. But another reason is in both of these uh, letters, 1 Timothy and Titus, and in none other, with the exception of maybe Acts chapter 6 with regard to deacons, well, I shouldn't have said that. Never mind. In both of these letters, 1 Timothy and Titus, you have the qualifications for the office of the eldership or the pastor. And you don't find those qualifications elsewhere. And so they're pastorals because you can read about the office of the elder or pastor in both of those letters. And 2 Timothy is obviously thrown in there with them because it's so similar in its material. But they also have a lot of details about what ministers are to do and what deacons are to do. And so we're going to have a lot of fun with that as we uh, do a little self-examination and we look at, we compare what Timothy and Titus do with what we do today in the ministry. And uh, there's a lot of stuff about church leadership in in these letters. So they're called the pastorals and that's why, because it has so much information about elders. 
All right, now let's talk a little bit about these myths and endless genealogies that seem to be causing some trouble in the church at Ephesus and elsewhere. Um, I know like in the letter to the Colossians, Paul mm. addresses similar things to this. So this was not just a problem in Ephesus, yeah. but throughout Asia Minor and we assume other places, uh, the people wanted to focus on curiosities rather than the truth of the gospel. That's so unusual. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right? Nobody focuses on whether or not Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Yeah, right. That's, or what we put that behind spoke. us. Yeah. Um, so these, we assume, are Jewish myths and ge- uh, Jewish genealogies. Yeah. Now, you read the Old Testament, there are a lot of genealogies in there. Yeah, the genealogies kind of make sense. Um, I like how it says endless genealogies here. Uh, it would definitely make sense for some Jews, and that would be wrong of them to do so, uh, but for them to try to trace their lineage back to Abraham, this was a problem Paul has dealt with several times already. He deals with that in Romans, and he tells them just because you're of Abraham doesn't mean that you're going to be saved. Jesus says a similar thing to them in Matthew chapter 3, where he says, don't say that my father is Abraham, because we could, God could raise up children for Abraham out of these stones. Um, so there, And it's also mentioned in Titus. You mentioned that it's in Colossians as well, but these genealogies are in Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. Uh, this is probably from some of the false teachers in Ephesus emphasizing some lengthy genealogies, uh, believing that your salvation was based on having a lineage that could be traced back to Abraham. And that's what you'll find in some commentaries. But Drew, I had this thought, and I'm wondering, I'm interested to see what you say about it. Do you think any of these genealogies were concerned with maybe who came from Moses or who came from Aaron, who could be a part of the priesthood in the new church, continuing that covenant Mm-hmm. from the Levitical covenant, you know, the Levites for the priesthood. So I'm wondering if some of these genealogies had to do with, okay, well, if I'm Hymenaeus, all right, well, I've traced my lineage all the way back to um, Aaron. So I am of the chosen priesthood, so I should be the minister here. Yeah. Or, you know, do you think there's any, um, any precedent for that at all? Yeah, I think that's plausible. Um you know, just as people today will say, you know, I, I have an ancestor. My ancestor was was uh, Pocahontas. So, mm-hmm. you know, look at me. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, you I think, think there's a lot of pride in that for some people. And, yeah. Um, there, there was something else going on, too, though. Um, from what, what I've studied, they would, they would do what you're talking about, but they would also mine genealogies for gaps in the stories of the Bible. And say, you know, this, you know, this guy here, Eliphaz or whatever, I don't, I don't know, you know, pick a name that of a person you never heard of. He's mentioned here in this gene- genealogy, but where is his story? I know his story. Here's what he did. And then they'll have this fantasy, or, and, which we know people love. I mean, you look at yeah. the best-selling books today, and a lot of times in the Christian bestseller book, there, there's a lot of fiction about a particular character in the Bible that we don't know. You know, Prayer of Jabez. For example, that's not a fictional book, but it's it's based on a little-known character, and it was a runaway bestseller uh, several yeah. years ago, maybe when you were like in diapers. There's another one like that, uh, one of David's mighty men, and I forget his name. Oh, okay. But that's he, a good example. He fights, uh, he winds up in a pit with a lion, 
Yeah. And the name of the book it's is just like, a like in a five pit verses. with a lion on a snowy day. Yeah. Like the whole thing is a story about how the guy wound up in the pit with the lion. It doesn't say. It just says he overcame a lion in a pit. Yeah. Well, there's a great example of this. Uh, it's not an inspired book. I want to make sure that everybody understands where I'm coming from here. Not an inspired book. It's in the apocryphal books, and it's called the Book of Jubilees. And it's an extensive retelling of Genesis and Exodus. We found it in the 20th century along with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, It claims God revealed more to Moses on Mount Sinai than what you have recorded in the Bible. It's got a lot of stuff about angels. Um, There's an account of the angels' creation along with four classifications of angels. You have the angels of, of the presence, angels of sanctification, Guardian angels, and people still believe in that. They've been influenced by this book, and they don't even know it. Yeah. Um, and angels over nature. Then, here's another story that you've heard before. No princes from Daniel? No, not If, if I any don't of our listeners so. have listened to our final episode on Daniel, we got into that. You can go to but, Daniel for that. Yeah, which right. Is, is inspired. Mm-hmm. But in this, you've got um, a group of fallen angels marrying female humans and bringing forth the race of giants known as the, the Nephilim. Nephilim. Yeah. Or ne- Nephilim, whatever. Sorry, Nephilim. So, um, you know, people believe this stuff still today, and it, mm-hmm. it came from way back in these. Um, if you're wondering about Cain's wife, uh, they found her in the Book of Jubilees. Her name is Awan, and yes, that. she is Cain's sister. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've got that. The events in the book follow a solar calendar. Dates and numbers are emphatic genealogies. Uh, The entire history of creation in Israel is given in divisions of 49 years each, or jubilees. The elapsed time from creation of Mount Sinai is calculated as 50 jubilees, and that's why it's called the Book of Jubilees. We could do this all day long. There's a lot of Jewish myths and genealogies and stories of angels, and, you know, uh, people still get carried away with this stuff. Yeah. And you see what happens. When you look at First Timothy, you see what happens is you create these um, Hymenaeuses and Alexanders who do apostles great harm and do mm-hmm. uh, today's elders and preachers and teachers great harm uh, because they can't get away from this kind of thing. And uh, I'm going to get more practical about that in the last part of the podcast, but... I think it's kind of interesting, some stuff our listeners probably have never heard. Yeah, it's interesting to know what exactly they were getting distracted with instead of being concerned, first and foremost, with the thing that Paul mentioned, you know, love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So rather than worrying about those things, these people were worrying about uh, what genealogy maybe they are of, and then on top of that, these missing genealogy are these missing pieces in the genealogy and then making up stories about the people that don't have a story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it does, I think kind of show um, an emphasis on the fact that we need to, we need to take what we have. Uh, scripture is definitely based on uh, history. These are not, so the scriptures are not just like uh, someone sits down and says, okay, how about Joseph? What are we going to write about Joseph? Let's make up a bunch of stuff about Joseph. Yeah, and have a... or it's not even like a historian sitting down saying, okay, I've collected all of these documents. I'm going to tell mm-hmm. everything that is known about Joseph. 
Yeah, right. No, it's mm. it's a prophet or an inspired writer that God is using to bring the gospel to light. That's what it right. is. And it all has to do with Jesus Christ and the salvation of mankind. It's not a full biography. It's not a full history. There are a lot of gaps in it. That's intentional because we don't mm. need to know everything, just what has been revealed. The secret things belong to God, as Moses said. Um, so does this mean in Q&A next month I shouldn't send in a ridiculous question? That's exactly right. Okay, is that, this is what this well, we is do, all about. You know, we deal with this in Q&A a lot of times. And if there's, if there's an answer, you know, we try yeah. to find it. But if there's no answer, uh, one of the things that we try to stress in Q&A is that there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot of mystery, mm-hmm. and it's intentionally that way. Yeah. For reasons that we've already explained. So, what are, is there anything else here? You know, we've come, like like Andrew said, we just finished Daniel. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean, like, an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. We finished Daniel. Yeah, and, in real time. And so, in Daniel, there's all of this, um, you know, it's it's like, what do we leave out in the second part of the podcast? But... I am feeling relieved as we come into Timothy and not having to do so much work in the second segment. It's yeah. fun sometimes, but yeah. sometimes it'll give you a headache trying to... Yeah, and that's the great thing, this. especially that we're going to find in these in our study of these pastoral epistles, will be that we'll have a lot for application. Right. There'll be a lot that directly apply, applies to us. So we'll take a quick break. We'll play some of our world-class bumper music for you. And then we'll be back. section of the podcast is to apply. And so there's a lot of application here. I want to go back again to the myths and genealogies and fascination with with uh, speculation. You mean the you things see. we're not supposed to talk about? Right. Let's Let spend all our more. time on the things Paul says not to talk about. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, want to, I want to talk about why we shouldn't talk about it. And right. um, that's what Paul's saying here. Uh, there, there are two problems that you get when you have a teacher that um, focuses too much on this kind of thing. The first problem is people sometimes mistake somebody who knows a lot of trivia and fantasy for a good Bible teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll sit in class and you'll have a teacher, and I've, I've been in classes like this before. Well, you'll have, a, you'll have a teacher that he knows a lot of theories about things or He's read a lot of trivia about this, or he has a lot of fanciful ideas or conspiracy theories, and the people are sitting there with rapt attention throughout the whole class, and the 45 minutes goes by so quickly, and people are so interested, and they've never heard that before, Mm -hmm. and they think it's a good class because it wasn't boring, Mm -hmm. but they didn't learn anything about the gospel. They didn't grow. If anything, they've gotten further away from Christ, not closer to Christ. Yeah. 
that's not a just because you're not bored that doesn't mean it's a good class i mean you're not bored when you watch tv mm-hmm. but you're not sitting in a good bible class right so that's the first problem the second problem is a teacher has only an academic interest in the bible and there's a lot of that where somebody you know can tell you what each greek word means and he can mm-hmm. impress you with his memorization and he can give you a reference for any question you ask but he doesn't live it and later yeah. paul will be telling timothy to set himself as an example mm-hmm. for the people of faith. Yeah. Uh, as he teaches, he lives it. And, um, you know, I I see this a lot of times where I don't know what they're doing, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to bring this up. But, uh, you know, all these, uh, like, Twitter biographies and, you know, all these <laughs> little profiles and people say, you know, uh, writer, thinker, storyteller, Magician, you know all these I'm, uh, strange I'm to descriptions look up and see of themselves. What my Twitter bio is make sure I'm not falling under fire. Yeah, I may be talking about you. I'm not sure. I don't think I even have a Twitter bio. That's aside from the point, though. You know, you're not a storyteller. You're not. You're not. You you're just a preacher. What's wrong with the word preacher? Yeah, I'm on a soapbox now, but you know, you go right ahead. You don't have to make yourself out to be like this uh, sage guy on top of a hill you know just just preach the word and make it as interesting as you can while glorifying christ instead of instead of yourself Mm -hmm. that's what it's all about yeah all right get me off of this i do not have a twitter bio so good good for you good for you yeah but i do think um i really appreciate the fact that you mentioned you know some of those classes that you sit in and you've got a guy who, uh, you know, maybe has a lot of these things on call and his mind is really sharp and he knows the academics. And I think it's a good thing for us to keep in mind as ministers and for everyone out there who's listening that's a teacher of a class. It's a very real caution to, yes, it's important to learn as, what, as that's what we're going to talk about next. Um, it's important to know what you're talking about, certainly. But it's also important to make that worth something, which is why we do this third section of the podcast of apply. Yeah. So we don't and just I, read it. Let me just say, I don't I don't mean to take this too far. I mean, I, I like anybody else, I've shared a story or yeah. you know, learned something interesting. I mean, that's what we do in the second segment of the podcast. Yeah. Is we we see if we can find something fun to talk about. So there's trivia and speculations have their place. We just don't get carried away with them. Right. Because we can see the church at Ephesus here drifting away. They've lost their focus of love, mm-hmm. salvation, stewardship. they got to get back to that, so, back to the roots. To go back to that little, we made a little smart aleck remark about Adam and Eve and belly buttons earlier. But yeah. I think I think a good way to think about this, Paul says, you know, not to be like those who are teaching different doctrines, and devoting themselves to these things. Yeah, that's So good. the idea is, like, if I'm sitting in a class on Genesis 1, the whole class does not need to be on the question of Adam and Eve, what language did they speak, what color was their skin, and did they have a belly button? Yeah. You know, in a class on, well, that'd be Genesis 1, 2, and 3, really. Uh, <laughs> if we had a class on all of that, it it should not be focused in on, and like, what about dinosaurs? Are dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden? You know, yeah. it should be more focused on God created the world. He created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. That's where the Sabbath comes from. 
and and the, gave and man, man dominion fell. over it. Yeah. And and God made us a little lower than the angels, and then He sent His Son in the form of man, and He yeah. died for us, and we can live. And yeah. That that you know that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's what. So the idea we're not saying definitely because we we're not saying that we cannot spend any time entertaining these ideas or maybe digging into them a little bit, but we don't want to devote ourselves so wholeheartedly to these things that that are that are like these myths and genealogies that Paul mentions here. We don't want to spend so much time there that we forget what the aim of our charge really is. Yeah. And that we miss miss the mark. There's your little play on words to go with the aim of our charge. We'll Very put the good. last track in later. Okay. Um, I'm counting on you to do that. Uh, so the next thing, if we're done with that, is kind of the other side of this. Uh, verse 6 and 7, certain people by swerving from these things have wandered away into vain discussion, which we mentioned is vain jangling, vain jangling. desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And this is a big caution for teachers as well. So there's two sides of this coin. One, you've got to make sure you're not getting too distracted by diving into all the little things that are that are useless, uh, you know. But on the other side of this, you've got to know what you're talking about. You cannot teach something that you don't know anything about. And so I've got two things, Drew, that you can uh, add to or disagree with or whatever uh, as to why somebody would want to teach without knowing what they're talking about. Obviously, ignorant people do not make for the best teachers. And we're all ignorant about something. So I want to go ahead yeah. and add this as we start. I'm not saying that every teacher has to know everything ever. Um, you know, we all have holes in our knowledge. Um, but if we're going to teach something, we need to make sure that that particular area is not a hole in our knowledge. And we have to ask ourselves, what's our motivation for teaching? And I think with a lot of these guys, it looks like they might have been wanting to teach just so people could look at them and say they're teachers. Yeah. Or just to look at them and say, oh, man, they're smart. So you might have somebody who's an eloquent speaker and can hold your attention very well. But maybe they don't have a whole lot of the facts to go with it. Maybe they don't have a whole lot of study to go with it. And they're just up there kind of entertaining you with their their just sheer entertainment, entertainment value of the way they speak. Yeah, they like to be seen. They like the attention. Uh, there might be a, a monetary motive involved in the, in those yeah. days because right. uh, Paul Paul, Paul talks that, yeah. of peddlers of the gospel in Second Corinthians, and he talks it, about people like that in Philippians, people who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Right. Yeah. So there were a lot of reasons then, and a lot of reasons now, why people would want to be a teacher without even doing the homework needed for a teacher. And, you know, they need to be reminded about what James says in James 3, 1, that teachers will have stricter judgment. And so not many yeah. of us should be teachers mm-hmm. uh, because you're going to you're gonna be held accountable for misleading people if that's what you're doing. Right, and I think that's, that's the big key here. Um, if you're going to teach, you need to understand what you're saying because of that big... Um, you know, that big danger that you might be misleading somebody. And certainly anyone that's ever taught a Bible class, and, you know, it's even, we tend to think of when you teach the younger kids, it's not that big a deal. Uh, But the younger kids are much more impressionable than the adults. So no matter what age group 
we are teaching. If you've got the three and four year olds on a Sunday morning, or if you have an adult class in an auditorium with a hundred people, we have to take our preparation to teach those classes very seriously because we are telling someone, Hey, this is what God has to say. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to put ourselves in that position, then we better make sure that we spend the time beforehand to sit down and to really discover what God is trying to say. Because if we misrepresent God, then we wind up like these people here who are up talking and they don't even know what they're saying. They don't, they're making these really confident assertions, but they have no idea what they are asserting. They just want to be confident and loud about something. They don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. So there's some uh, really good applications that we have about teaching. Uh, Then on the other hand, to kind of shift gears a little bit, the next one I want to look at, Drew, is in verses 15 and 16. And you mentioned that Paul calls himself uh, the foremost of sinners. And a lot of times... Or the chief. Yeah, the chief of sinners. Chief in the King James, the chief of all sinners. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think when we talk about repentance and coming back to God, we say... We take a lot of examples from Scripture and we say, hey, look, God allowed David uh, to repent. Look at all the bad things David did. God loved David. He'll love you too. Uh, What about Paul? Look at Paul, the bad things he did. God loved Paul. God will love you too. And we say that a lot. But Paul here himself is going to give us a reason for why Jesus uh, basically let his grace overflow towards him. He says, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And now here's the reason why. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So here is straight from Paul saying, look, the reason why God did this to me and for me as the foremost of sinners was to make an example out of me and to show that, hey, if God can turn me around, if God will uh, out, if God will pour out his grace on me, if he will pour this grace overflowing upon me, then he'll do the same for anyone else who wants to believe in him for eternal life. Yeah. So the yes. application being no matter who you are, what your background is, God saved Paul, he'll save you too. Yeah, look at the contrast between Paul's emphasis in his teaching and that of those getting carried away with myths and endless genealogies and speculations that have nothing to do with with the gospel. They're they're all wrapped up into these angelic orders and and myths and Paul keeps coming back to his story what God has done in my life. And uh, he, is, he is concerned about sinners learning this good news and being transformed into the image of God's Son. Churches have to do this or they are going to lose their focus really quickly and drift mm-hmm. away, being full of Hymenaeuses and Alexanders. And uh, I think this is a great place to start the, uh, the study of 1 Timothy and I'm glad yeah. that that Paul starts it out like that. We'll we'll get into things like, you know, the qualifications for elders and deacons, praying for leaders of uh, 
our country, um, minutia about you know what to do with um, widows who can't support themselves, and mm-hmm. and you know we'll get into all kinds of things in Second Timothy and Titus as well. But the focus of it all ought to be on what Paul's saying here in this section, which is the gospel. Christ came to the world for one purpose, mm-hmm. and that was to save sinners. And Paul was the foremost. And so if he saved Paul, he can save you. Right. It's a great way to end. Um, thank you for joining us. Maybe you you joined us the last time we did this in coordination with Bible classes at Asheville Road, and you haven't been listening in a year. We're glad you're back. Maybe you're a full-time listener, and we appreciate that. Check us out on the web at the66.net. 66 is a number. Uh, you can email Andrew at akingsley at arcoc.com. I'm D Kaiser at arcoc.com. On Twitter, you can uh, follow us at The66 Podcast. We're on Facebook. Go over there and like the page. Uh, go to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. That really helps us uh, get noticed. We'd like to have as many listeners as possible because we believe in what we're doing. We're trying to make it through the whole Bible and We envision a day where people can go to our website and they can find information on any book of the Bible. And uh, that would be wonderful. It's going to take a lot of of study and a lot of recording, but we're we're on our way to doing that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're thankful that you joined us. Uh, Next next week, we're going to talk about uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. So until then, this is the 66 Podcast.